So today's guest, Sam, mm. is a man who's been there, done that, and got the Hawaiian t-shirt mm-hmm. from the same collection as you, by the looks of things. <laughs> been there in the very, very early days of some of the biggest British artists of the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Has got tales of first hearing and tomfoolery from quite a few of those artists across the genres, from Dizzy to Adele. Mm-hmm. And is still doing interesting and new things right now, as he's the dude behind arguably the biggest independent British music podcast right now in 2023. I mean, there's a chance without hacking his analytics, one of the biggest <laughs> music podcasts, full stop. I right, worldwide. Not be surprised. English yeah, worldwide. World. English-speaking world. We're speaking about Tape Notes there, gang. And what guests we're speaking about is John Kennedy, Radio X, Tape Notes, giving first plays and many plays to new artists, as Mark said, who are now huge artists and some of your favourite new bands right now, too. He's also honest. He'll say if he wasn't the first play or he heard someone mm. else, and which kind of makes the first play stories even mm. more impactful because yeah, he, it's a bit like, you know, if you've got a partner who will tell you if your ass looks big in a certain pair of trousers or dress, when they then tell you you look hot in the other outfit, you know they're definitely telling the truth rather than just telling you what you want to hear. That's why we're together, right? <laughs> That's not going to help the rumours, Sam. Okay, John, we're excited to talk to you for the many, many hats that you wear. And we're hopefully going to delve into those hats and all of the legendary sweat stains that are in those hats as we go through this uh, <laughs> this episode. But the thing we want to get into first, uh, for a musician listening, we want to get to the value straight away. Musician at the start of the career, they've got, they're good. They are making good tunes. The thing they're dreaming of right now is national media exposure. They think they're ready, but they don't know how to go about it. What, in your opinion, are the top three things they should be doing to help improve that? That's interesting because uh, you have established that they're good because the first one was going to be be ready and be good. I was reading about Arctic Monkeys the other day and I think Matt Helders was saying in an interview that they didn't play a gig for the first year of the existence of the band. They spent that first year just practicing and practicing and maybe writing tunes and they didn't do anything at all for that first year. And that seemed like a really good way to approach things because, you know, you get out there. Sometimes, obviously, um, doing a gig can be an impetus and can, you know, you form the band down the pub somebody in the pub says come and play my show next week you do it and that is the start of the band and that can be a great start you know a a motivation a Mm -hmm. catalyst to activate uh, your dreams but at the same time if you are really rubbish then that might also (laughs) deactivate those dreams instantly and lead nowhere Mm. Um, so somewhere between the two is really good and I think you know once once you feel good about your music and would you listen to it and you want other people to hear it then that is the right time to start sharing it with other people I mean I would say before you start sharing it with national broadcasters, share it with friends and family and maybe try and play to people who don't know you. So they're random people who just happen to see your set and see if there's a positive reaction to that. There's no harm in paying your dues. I think it's, uh, you know, from the Beatles in Hamburg to the Lathams playing social clubs uh, Mm -hmm. around Lancashire. I think it's a tried and tested way of building up your confidence and building up your skills. And if you do that, then that will only stand you in good stead. The second piece Mm -hmm. of advice would be to do your homework and get involved. So, so many times a member of the band doesn't necessarily have to be every single member of the band but they're, they're, they're so obsessed that they become involved in their local music scene but they're also aware of the scene beyond them as well and this can start as as a gig goer or it can start as a record buyer but that knowledge will really stand you in good stead and it will let you 
realize who you should be reaching out to, who you should be contacting, and where you should be placing yourself. A knowledge of where you fit in is really, really helpful. So if you're an R&B artist, maybe coming to Radio X isn't the wisest move. I'll try and listen to everything. And there have been many R&B artists played on the show. But usually they have that kind of Radio X alternative edge to them that makes me feel as if they're part of their world. I mean, there's a time when... You played Little Sims a lot, didn't you? Yes, exactly. That's yeah. Exactly. And or Speech to Bell or, or Dizzy Rascal or whatever. Yeah. But they, they all had a kind of edge to them that seemed to fit into what I thought of as as Radio X or, or XFM. And obviously, if you're a smoother R&B artist, maybe you should be looking at, at Capital Extra um, in, instead mm. of Radio X. Um, but it's kind of knowing where you fit in is, is what I'm saying. So um, if you're a house producer, then work out who's playing the style of music that you want to hear and, and see mm. if you fit into that. And, and that kind of homework is really important. And, th- and that applies to gigs as well. So you, you go and see bands, you see who's supporting those bands, you go and work out what venues maybe give you an opportunity to, to get in the door. And then when you get in that door, you'll be able to say, right, of course, you know, I saw so-and-so here. And, and you can get yourself involved with all the different people that you meet along the way. And along the way, you will meet lots and lots of people. And mm-hmm. being nice to those people and being um, friendly and interested will really stand you in good stead as well. Because every single person you meet could be a, a relationship that you're starting that, that you can build on. And um, that can become really, really important. So that that kind of second bit of advice would be that kind of uh, get involved, do your homework, ingratiate yourself in the scene, um, and that will stand you in good stead. Often, often, I mean, obviously there are you know maverick artists who appear out of nowhere and are absolutely mm-hmm. incredible and are some kind of born geniuses, but even they probably have somebody around them who is actually really involved and up on what's going on and knows how to kind of put them into uh, that world. So you can have detached members in the band who are not involved, uh, <laughs> but they may be able to pull their weight in another way. But I think it can really help if there's one or two of you who are really clued up and and really link you in to the worlds that you want to be part of. And then as a third bit of advice, when you do reach out, kind of keep it simple and make sure mm-hmm. what you send to people works. So if you're sending a link make sure that link works. If you're sending a CDR of some demos that you've recorded, make sure that CDR works because that one moment <laughs> can be so frustrating for the person who receives those links or those CDs and it's like, oh, it doesn't work. Put it in the bin. Um, and and similarly, <laughs> sp- you can speed things up. So when I get sent a Spotify link, that can be good. I can check something out. But at the same time, I can't play it on the radio because I I can't rely on streaming for broadcast. So I would send a downloadable link to people. And also, tactically, some people like to send something that means that people have to react to get hold of a piece of music to play it on the radio. And that can be a good tactic Mm. um, in that it forces people to email back. But what if they're in a hurry? And, and they mm. don't have the time to compose that email. They'd prefer to download the track, get it on as soon as possible. And really, I'm speaking for myself, but I'd rather <laughs> get it on as soon as possible. And then maybe email them afterwards, say, oh, yeah, really liked it. 
played it last night or playing it tonight, that kind of thing. But you can't, there's so many emails to respond to that you can't guarantee that they'll have the time to, to be able to do that. But make sure those little things work. I mean, people use lots of different approaches to try and attract attention. So they might send an email with information saying, oh, I've been played on BBC Introducing. I've been played here. We've done these kind of supports. I've linked up with so-and-so. And that's all good information. But you don't need three pages, uh, a couple of lines, um, a little bit of an origin story, maybe. Oh, we're from Chester and we, we met hanging out on the Hollyoak <laughs> set or, or <laughs> whatever it is. Um, you know, I mean, in a, any little glitches or, you know, tiny little bits of information uh, can be really useful um, just as to kind of bring it a bit of color to when people do tell other people about those bands glitches isn't the right word there in that context but you know you hopefully get the drift so I think I've run through the three is that is that okay that's great let's let's um, just summarize the classic precise pragmatic question so every DJ A&R and lover wants to receive music in a, a subtly different way you mentioned making sure the CDR works. Some people don't even have a CDR player the other way and vice versa. Yeah. What is the dream way to get on John Kennedy's radar? What, what is the dream email and the dream way the music is shared? The simplest way is to attach an MP3 that is instantly downloadable, but also do make sure it's a reasonable quality. I know I know that, say, you know, an MP3 size of 5 to 10 is is pretty easily attached to an email and it's usually playable. But you, you might have a really terrible recording or, you know, so, some MP3s come out really quiet and, and just sound too weak to be played on the radio. But generally, as a rule of thumb, they generally work out OK. But that, that might be in the mastering or, or, or something like that. And it's best to email you rather than slide into the JKDMs? Yes, I think so. I mean, you know, different things work at different times by pure chance. There's a lot of luck involved in this. So an email can sit in an inbox for weeks, unnoticed and unreplied to. But a follow-up email can also (laughs) sit there too. But maybe the third or fourth email might register that, oh, no, I haven't replied and I haven't even listened to that. Um, So persistence Mm -hmm. is also a good quality. Trying to alert people um, via other means, via Twitter, say, it's like, hey, John, have you heard our new tune? And maybe a link to that, that can work on Twitter. But at the same time, hey, John, have you heard our new tune? We've emailed you it, um, is kind of better because I don't need to get engage in a public conversation <laughs> with somebody necessarily, yeah. especially if unfortunately I don't like their new tune, um, because I don't yeah. necessarily want to say that in a <laughs> to the, the greater public saying, actually, I have and I really don't like it. I mean, that's just yeah. that's just <laughs> unnecessary. What if any emails do you have in the public domain that you're happy to share? John.Kennedy at RadioX.co.uk is the simplest to remember. Dead president with a dot in it. Radio X is where I broadcast. <laughs> RadioX.co.uk. Where are we going next, Sam? One of the points you made, John, just to, again, dig a little deeper for our listeners in terms of the uh, files coming out a little bit quieter, that is generally a mastering thing, right? I'm, I'm mm. not going to pretend I'm a music nerd at all. You know, listening to tape notes when you had Laurel Connor on, he was talking about services like Moises and how there's all these AI tools and stuff out there now that can do it. Obviously, not to put these incredible masterers and mastering engineers out of a job, but just in terms of if you are a musician at the start who has this one purpose, not very much money, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, getting your files to a level where they can actually be played on radio. If they're all, you know, if you've written a good song, you've recorded it well, it still needs to be mixed and mastered and playable on a platform. So you're talking about just making it mastered to a level that is radio appropriate almost. 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you listen to it and think that would sound rubbish on the radio, then don't send out that <laughs> recording. Um, even though the song yeah. might be brilliant, you know, and obviously some yeah. some inferior recordings still work because they've got a brilliant song and an amazing yeah. singer or amazing musicians, um, and they will kind of shine through regardless of the quality of the recording. But but then it's a, then it's a case of if I listen sometimes if i listen to something and i think i like this this is good but it does sound a bit rubbish i i yeah. will tell them the recording <laughs> sounds rubbish or the mastering sounds rubbish can you improve mm. on that and sometimes yeah. they're able to and sometimes they're not maybe it's too early and they need to to come back a bit later but um people ask these questions a lot online i think about oh well how good a demo does a demo have to be you know and and yeah. these kind of questions um and it is tricky but you want it to sound you know, you, you've got to be able to listen to it yourself and think, is that broadcastable? You know, would I, what if that came on the radio now, what would I think mm. of, of that recording? You now, regardless of the song or the, the performance. Cool. Well, something else we want to ask you, John, is you've spoken, interviewed, had conversations with some of the biggest names on the planet at all different parts along their careers. Um, and specifically with Tape Notes, you know, you do have one of the biggest music podcasts out there speaking to all these legends. Obviously, a lot of Tape Notes is about the how the songs came together, right? The practical sides of them, the tools used, quite literally digital and, and physical sometimes. But in a few episodes, some nuggets come out on more the what you might call the career side or the, the even the mindset side, that kind of stuff like that. You know, whether it's Fred again, whether it's Flume, whether it's Foles, like any of those names that you've had on, maybe potentially in recent memory because you speak to so many. Have any of them shared anything on that front, whether it's the careers front, a story about how they got their first play, anything like that that stands out? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, on the creative mindset, uh, we did mm. uh, an interview with Matthew Herbert, which hasn't come out yet, but that will be coming out soon. And he's mm. got an extraordinary uh, career and is an extraordinary wow. artist. But he was mm. saying how creatively he tries to... Um, change things up in a really everyday way that will put him in a different mindset. So he might wear a different mm. pair of shoes while he's in the studio. He might um, <laughs> change the position of a speaker just to kind of jolt him out of whatever experience he's he's been in for a few days. And you know, maybe mm. having a higher higher level shoe might make him see things differently. <laughs> you know? I mean, wow. it just seems like such a random thing. But I thought it was quite mm. an interesting little tiny, yeah. tiny point about trying to change and challenge your mm. daily situation just to to make it feel different. And yeah. that bit feeling different might help you approach things in a, in a slightly different way. I mean, one of the kind of classic comments for we, we had with uh, the producer David Wrench about what advice he had uh, received that was particularly useful and uh, one particular advice when he was still uh, working in in the Welsh mountains as a producer was from uh, the writer John Savage um, and he said look you no know, John you know, how can I get kind of beyond the level I'm at and he was recording some amazing people from super fairy animals to all sorts of other people and John suggested well maybe just smoke less weed um, <laughs> and you'll find that maybe you might be a bit more productive and and mm. this really stuck with David because he he started to smoke less weed um, and suddenly now he's one of the go-to mix engineers on the planet you know and has has wow. mixed all sorts of amazing people and had some amazing success with his different skill sets so he works as a mix engineer he works as a producer he's also a songwriter yeah. and musician so you know it, it just kind wow. of allowed him to move on and because i think maybe he was tied up in the idea that you know part of creativity is is 
tied in with a certain lifestyle and a certain way mm. of, of looking at things. And, you know, yeah. the flip of that can be some people were recommending, you know, we've had a few conversations with people that, that, who are recommending microdosing uh, <laughs> with uh, acid and, and other substances and how that unlocks their creativity. Um, mm. You know, it's debatable whether that works or not, but you've got to push yourself as well. I, I think, I think the key is uh, about a kind of mindset. And, and the interesting thing with take notes is that we always ask people about advice, advice they've received, advice that they have uh, learned through their own experience. And if you do listen, oh, sorry, I keep getting my microphone. If you do listen <laughs> to, um, don't do that. That's a bad thing to do. And if you do listen to tape notes um, near the end of each episode, there is always a question about advice and their mm. their experience. And 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 it, some of those can be really really educational. Awesome. Um, in tape notes, you're intrinsically talking to people who've smashed it, and so are like are quite a long way into their journey. Um, I think you know our our passion is people at the start of their journey. Um, I was looking at a list the other day of like the top ten biggest. British artists worldwide, streamwise, and I th- thought nearly every single one of those I first heard on John Kennedy's show. Um, in the interest <laughs> of fairness, I think Calvin and Arctic Monkeys I didn't hear on you first, <laughs> but I was like, I'm pretty sure Adele, pretty sure Ed Sheeran, um, not in this list, but names we mentioned earlier like Little Sims and Dizzy. Any interesting hustle stories from artists, how they first got on your radar, how you first met them, who then went on to be be huge names. Interesting. I mean, realistically, I'm just one of of many outlets there are for new artists to get heard. And the, the kind of key point, I think, is to reach out to them all. And 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 one of them mm, hopefully will absolutely. pick up on you. The personal touch can really help. Seeing somebody at a gig, saying hi, having done your homework, knowing who they are, being able to engage with them in a down-to-earth but knowledgeable fashion can endear them to you and then to kind of building a, a little relationship following that up with an email or, or some music not relying on them being proactive you've got to be proactive to bring your stuff to them even if you've sent them some kind of correspondence a letter an email and they might not have responded they might have seen it and so when you next get in touch or when somebody else gets in touch on their behalf they might think oh there's a, a moment of recognition. It's like, oh yeah, I kind of that that I, I've heard about that somewhere, and so they may be drawn to that more more instantly. You know, some things. You know, there have been a, a few people I've been lucky enough to to kind of play first, and and often that's been unsolicited, out of the blue. You receive a particularly back in the day in the say the the two thousands, you'd receive something in the mail and you'd open it and Whoa. you would. You'd, you'd, you'd by chance Post. listen to it immediately. Um, Razor Lights would be an example. Um, a CD came through, a demo uh, from their manager, and um, it had some photographs, some glossy photographs that people used to send out with these things that looked absolutely <laughs> terrible, like a really, really rubbish <laughs> photograph of them standing against a, a garage backdrop. And honestly, the photograph was so bad that I put it into the bin immediately. But I also, at the same time, put the CD in the CD player in the studio that I was in before I had started my show. And it was immediately fantastic. You know, these were three fantastic songs that at the time, as I described it, they had the, the kind of pop punch of the strokes meets television as well. And, and there was something instantly exciting. And I played one of those songs that night 
Um, and, you know, that's why I do the job is to, you know, it might be something that's been released into the world already, or it could be something that I've, you know, has arrived completely unsolicited. But you, I want that thrill of listening to it for the first time and thinking, yeah. oh, wow, that sounds amazing. That's why I do it every day. That's what I'm looking for. You know, and, and when you get that, you, you, you get really, really excited and you want to share it with people immediately. And that, I'm in a lucky position where I get to share that with people. You know, and, and I do like discovering things in that way. I also really like seeing a band for the first time. You know, they're the first on uh, by chance at a random bill. And you think, I really like what they're doing. They sound really cool. And, and you, you go and say hello to them afterwards. And then, you know, you, you are then proactive. You want them to, mm -hmm. to say, oh, well, we've got some recordings. We could send them to you. And uh, or they might be able to hand something you, to you then and there. And, and you'll be able to follow it up. I mean, so like that Lorraine like story, do you remember how you first heard Ed or Adele or Dizzy? Well, Ed These artists that in my head I associate with you, rightly or wrongly. Yeah, yeah. Well, Ed is, you know, I think I was a bit of a bandwagon jumper on Ed. I mean, he, he'd already been doing so much work. I mean, talking about being proactive and doing his homework, he kind of watched lots of music. He went out on, on tour as a, a roadie before he did any gigs of his own. So he kind of scoped out the, the scene in a way. And in, in another way, Adele did as well. The first time I met Adele was actually in Austin, Texas. Um, at that point... <laughs> She was an aspiring singer who had only maybe one song on MySpace, but she was connected. She had management, and her manager was also the same manager as Jack Pagnati and Jamie T. Oh. And so Jack and Jamie were out in Austin doing some shows as a kind of new artist. She went out with them to see what it was all about, to have a look at it and see what they had to do. What an amazing kind of run of little shows that they had to do. And, and she was just kind of taking it all in. And I remember meeting her there. She came in and did some backing vote. We were doing some sessions. So XFM went out there at the time and we recorded some sessions in the hotel bedroom of uh, Chris Denman, who was our session producer at the time. And um, so we would set up a microphone there and we got people in. And uh, Adele came in with Jack Pagnati and sang some backup vocals with him. And that's when I first met Adele. So then wow. I was able to go home. And then when I got the track, I was able to play the track on the radio. But I do remember her being out there. And I thought that is really interesting. She, This is somebody who's very serious about what they're doing. They're doing their homework yeah. in such a way. I mean, obviously, they were connected, but they were only connected because she had been out there playing lots of really tiny shows in London alongside Jack Pagnati, probably on the same bills, doing a little, you know, acoustic spot for 20 minutes. And so she met these people. And, you know, Lily Allen was one of the first people to pick up on, on Jack Pagnati, I think, through MySpace and through coming across him at one of those kind of nights. And um, it's, it's, it's interesting how these things come about. People are being proactive. You know, that they're not waiting to be discovered, even though they might have in turn been discovered by a manager. But um, sometimes that that can work out badly. You know, that a manager, somebody said, oh, I'm a manager. I can I can look after you. I can make you a star. That doesn't always necessarily work out. But if you're also uh, not relying on them totally, you're also taking some kind of uh, initiative yourself. You know, I think that was preparing herself for what was further down the line because she had ambition. You know, she she wasn't just going to think, oh, maybe maybe one day I'll get to sing somewhere. But she was thinking, no, I, I'm, I'm serious about this. You know, and uh, then she went on and she was on the show and she played uh, one of my remedy nights. And then, you know, so it, <laughs> no, I mean, I don't think that was the it was one of the foundations of her 
career, but the, her talent was ultimately the biggest foundation. But another, uh, if you had mentioned Dizzy Rascal, at the time yeah. when that whole scene was emerging, um, I used to listen to a station called Choice uh, FM, which was a station that originally started in 1990 alongside Kiss FM, but it was very much a community wow. station and it was broadcasting in South London. And then it got another license and was broadcasting to a section of North London as well. And when Exposure was up and running in the kind of early noughties, on my way home, I would often listen to this guy called Commander B, who was on <laughs> Choice FM. And so I'd be listening to him around two in the morning. And Commander B had an incredible show where he would play all this different kinds of music. You know, a lot of it was garage. A lot of it didn't have a name. And and that's where I first heard Miss Dynamite was on Commander B's show before she'd ever released anything. And he would have these kind of talent spots. So he had a kind of talent contest where different people would sing down the phone and uh, he would they would either get a toilet flush or a... a <laughs> <laughs> a kind of trumpet blast and you know if you got a trumpet blast then you'd move on to the next stage wow. of the talent contest and then he would put on these gigs with some of these people who'd kind of come through this talent contest just done late at night on the radio and and they would get to perform on those and all sorts of people you know would be rapping down the phone they'd be singing down the phone but another thing that he was doing was playing these new tunes which had no name you know what is this garage? What is it? Two step, you know, that Wiley tune that that kind of expressed that. And he would get some of these people in to perform live on the show. So that's where I first heard More Fire Crew. And it's where I first heard Dizzy Rascal. And Dizzy went on in some kind of yellow outfit. And I remember Commandy B <laughs> describing his, you look like a canary, mate. You no, know, and <laughs> it was just really funny. But you know, Dizzy was spitting live on air. And it was really, wow. really exciting. And sometimes this would spill in such a way that it would be, <laughs> I'd be amazed that he was uh, allowing this to be live on the radio because some of it would get really, really uh, dirty in a, in a kind of sexy kind of way. <laughs> and you think, no, how, how are they getting away with it? But it was, it was really, really exciting. And especially set out with More Fire Crew, I remember thinking, how can I get hold of that tune? How can I, I, I need to play that on my show, you know. And obviously, Morphi Crew were the, the the kind of little team that gave us Lethal Bizzle, uh, among others. Um, and uh, so, luckily, I I knew a guy who was trying to sign them, um, and so he he sourced that tune for me, and I was able to play Morphi Crew on the show. Um, Dizzy Rascal was also being uh, courted to to sign up, and um, you know, then luckily I was able to get one of those tunes and, and, and play them on the show, which is maybe when you heard them, Mark. Um, but, you know, yeah, it's, I was just excited by what Commander B was doing in this whole scene. And it was funny because, you know, I'd be I'd, have, I'd be driving in and on the way in, I'd be tuning around the dial. Um, so John Peel was still alive at one point and his show was earlier than started earlier than mine. So a little bit little, I would listen to a little bit of John Peel, but I'd also catch uh, somebody <laughs> else on maybe BBC London or or on Choice or on Kiss, just kind of turning that dial, seeing what was around. And another show I used to listen to a lot on Choice was Jenny Francis, who at that time was before my show started. And she was a big champion of UK hip hop and really supported that scene. Um, so that's where I would hear people like Roots Maneuver and um, then follow that up and, and try and play some of those people as well. So, so I mean, a bit like the advice I'm giving to up and coming musicians, know what's going on, uh, do your homework, see, you know, where you think you fit in. And, and I would want to absorb all of those things and then put them into my show uh, because certain elements I thought, you know, fitted my idea 
idea and my understanding of what XFM was all about. Very quick question, John. Which is, <laughs> yeah, just because like it's going to be hard to follow up those stories. Um, yeah. One of the common things musicians at the start tell us is they feel like once they put that first song out, like the first proper release, that's it. If it's not a success, they're done. They have to give up the music like they fucked it, basically. And to the point that they'll often spend years and years delaying it, changing what that first song is, blah, 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 keep putting it off. And we actually know countless examples of some of the most talented musicians we've ever heard who five, six years on still haven't released the song and there's every chance they still won't. What's your opinion as someone that, you know, listens to so much new music, you know, looks out for so much new music and obviously has the opportunity to play so much new music? D- does it matter? Because like one of the things we say is it doesn't, you know, yes, get it right. You only have that one chance to make that first impression. But if that didn't work, you still have so many opportunities to impress or get that exposure down the line. What's your thoughts on that? I think keep persevering and and get stuff out there, get involved, get engaged in what's going on. I mean, it may not be the right recording. It may not be the right song, um, but it's something you can build on. You'll learn something from maybe the negativity that you get for that track. Mm. I mean, it might make you rethink what you're doing or how you're doing it, but it may connect as well, or it might, it might start a little fan base that might end up following you through all the different permutations that you, you go through. It's not something to be embarrassed about, um, <laughs> that you have a history. I think one of the mistakes I see across the music industry and media is that they want kind of constant newness to the point where they erase somebody's history, but actually everybody has some kind of history. And so mm-hmm. one of the silly things about, say, this debate about industry plants at the moment mm-hmm. Is that the only thing that's really gone wrong isn't the talent of those those bands or their integrity or anything like that. But trying to say they come out of nowhere, to me, that's a bit of a mistake because everybody wonders where people come from. Everybody's got a history. Mm. And it usually, I mean, these supposed industry plants are actually really, really good musicians who have a bit of history. They've played in lots of different bands. Mm. And, um, and this is the one where they're kind of putting a line in the sand and saying, right, we're starting again. This is this is our start. And that's completely fair enough. People have many fresh starts. You know, fair play <laughs> to them, I think. It doesn't it doesn't matter because I think that really you'll learn through all of that experience. You know, part of this whole thing is about learning, you know, and learning, you know, learning how much you want to do it. Learning, is it really for you? And learning, are you any good, really? No, but give it a go. What can you lose? You've got to give it a go. Awesome. I think, Mark, I think we need to make a compilation of all these established media pros just saying, get it out there, just so we can send that to the musicians that spend all this time. Uh, I mean, I understand. I understand people's reticence. I mean, a, a bit like wet back at the beginning of this conversation when I was saying, be ready, be good. Mm. You know, there, there, there's definitely a, a point where, you know, incubation is an important part of your growth and you need to let yourselves incubate a bit before you get out there but at the same time by getting out there you learn a lot you get a lot you know you learn a lot by getting on stage and realizing ah no this format isn't any good or or um oh i actually really hate being on stage (laughs) i'm I'm frightened um and maybe but maybe you like the thrill of being frightened and you want to get more of that you know there's so many different things to learn unless you go out and do it you won't learn you know that 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 whole thing about hours you know the the amount of hours you must do to get good at something you know there's there's a bit of truth in that you know um Mm. and it applies to everybody plus we can say we all know you can say absolutely definitively for complete certainty you will never make a living from music if you never put your music out there 
It never leaves your bedroom. <laughs> Most definitely. No. I think that, that for me, the question of making a living through music is kind of um, the wrong question you should be asking early on. Mm -hmm. You should be asking, do you like making music? Why do I like making music? What? How does it make me feel? How does it make me feel and other people feel when I make this music? And and that should be your motivation. No, not mm. the idea of making money. One, because it's really hard to make money out of music. But two, it can, because it's really hard, it can be completely deflating and disillusioning and uh you know can can ruin your life through not making uh <laughs> money at it but if you're if you still have to do it then that's a good mm. sign if you feel a compulsion to to make this music then that is mm. probably a good sign i mean it may that may still be bad for your health but um, <laughs> at the same time it will be an outlet and and can be enlightening and enriching and a joyous thing. And uh, there are so many examples of people persevering and finally finding that right formula that connects them to the outside world. The most recent connected to you oh, is Sleep and Mods. No, amazing example. Yeah, yeah, amazing example. I mean, it, it's, but the, these, this is a kind of time honored story. I was watching um, the biopic of Mahalia Jackson the other day, and it's just called Mahalia. I really recommend it. Um, so she's uh, one of the greatest gospel singers of all time. And her main motivation for making music was that she wanted to glorify God. So when she first put out her first ever recording <laughs> and it was a flop, she thought that was a sign from God that she should not be making recordings. So she then didn't okay. make another recording for quite a few years. And yet she carried on singing. No, she had to uh, sing praise to god through her work and and you know eventually she became a really big star in that world and her performances and her recordings are inspiring to to people who want to celebrate god and people who don't want to celebrate god you no know, she is a, a, a an amazing life force and an incredible artist but i think it was really interesting you know that 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 kind of uh, bump along her road to success you know that idea that oh my failure is a sign no i shouldn't be doing this no, but but at the same time, she heavy. felt she had to carry on. Yeah, it's very heavy. <laughs> yeah. But but God very want interesting. Me to do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's quite. Yeah, I don't think I've heard that one before, Sam. In all the excuses no. for not releasing a record, why have you not been next record out? God doesn't want it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it, when I say it's it like intense. that, that sounds kind of sinister in a way. But I mean, it, watch the film, and it seems to make more sense uh, from her perspective. Yeah. Anyway, God doesn't have a CD player. It makes cool. sense. Um, cool. Yeah, God, God wants a download. Final, <laughs> yeah. uh, final question, which we ask to everyone, John. Thank you for your time. Is as we record this terrifyingly on the twenty third of June, twenty twenty three. Crazy. What is one piece Crazy. of new music right now that you are loving? This is a terrible oh. question for me because John, obviously <laughs> I like loads of different things, and also like uh, not responding to questions directly but it is a friday <laughs> uh, and, and so i'm doing a radio show tonight i've got a brand new exposure big oh. one which i'll be unveiling tonight <laughs> so maybe when this is uh goes out that this will be ancient history possibly but at the same time you know i thought that i could shout out to all the people who've been really excited me like prima queen and kitty fitz and zebra and problem patterns mm. and sanam from beirut and chroma and family stereo blake watt who's an amazing new singer songwriter but also people like lion machine 
1923 and Toki Horror and Current Affairs, this band from Glasgow who sound like B-52s meet Joy Division. What do you reckon? I'm cheating. I am cheating. (laughs) I will come to one song though. Um, or maybe Alex Spencer from from last uh, week. Yeah, well, yeah, they they all deserve. They all deserve mention. So Alex Spencer from, from Manchester, he's just 16 years of age, he's amazing music, singer, songwriter, all black era. Uh, they're hey. really amazing. Uh, yeah, um, tons of people. Jock from uh, Northern Ireland, they're really great. But I, I'm going to choose this weekend's Exposure Big One, um, which is by Apostille. And Apostille is a guy from Glasgow. He's called Michael Kasparis. He runs a record label called Night School. And in a way, this is an illustration of the idea that your music is always going to be new to someone. So mm. it turns out that Apple Steel is about to release his third album. I don't think I've heard him before. So he's already three albums in. The album's on the way soon through Night School mm. Records. Um, and so I heard this track uh, the other week and was completely blown away by it. And for me, he's one of the most exciting new artists around. But other people were saying, oh, God, you know, he's like three albums in. What are you talking about, a new artist? But you never yeah. know. <laughs> you know. And that's one of the, the kind of maxims they always say in radio. You're playing Coldplay um, during the day uh, on a radio station, <laughs> and you, you think, God, no, everybody's heard of Coldplay. But there might be one person who still hasn't heard Coldplay and is blown away by that <laughs> song. And so if you're able to you know, share that enthusiasm for it, it really Excellent. helps. Um, but at the same time, Apple Steel is a new artist to me, even though he's got his own record label and is about to put out his <laughs> third album. But this tune is a real banger. It's called Saturday Night Still Breathing. I think you'll like it, Mark. It's got a house. Uh, well, it's kind of a house tune, but it also reminds me of kind of um, uh, New Rave from the noughties as well it has a little kind of punkiness to it It has that you know that that maybe electro clash had as well um but at the same time it's a life-affirming piece of music you know and the title alone suggests that saturday night still breathing but he mentions the (laughs) other days of the week too and he's just celebrating the fact that it's monday night and i'm still breathing it's tuesday but he's also celebrating the power of music and that brilliant feeling when you're sharing music on a saturday night you're in the club your hands are aloft people are feeling the music and they're thinking yes we're still here it's saturday night and we're still breathing and that is the lyric and the music matches that and it's a really uplifting joyous piece of house electro clash for the 21st century soldier on a (laughs) <laughs> I'm in. Don't know about you, Mark, but I know what I'm listening to this I'm weekend. In. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> done deal.